Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Football is marching towards the playoffs, and we're down to the college championship game. And BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the sports action this January. Head to our website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code BLEAVE, B-L-E-A-V to receive your 50% bonus. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers for the 2022 season. Bet online, where the game starts. afternoon or good night however and whenever it is you may be listening thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the take it easy podcast live on the believe podcast network Except it isn't live, because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. Happy, happy January 4th, 2022. Every time I see 2022, it reminds me this is the fourth year that we've done this podcast, and it makes me go absolutely freaking bananas to think about it. 821 episodes and counting here on the Take It Easy podcast. I hope you all are having an amazing, fantabulous day. Razor Rosenthal makes his triumphant return here on the podcast. He went on vacation for a while. College football came to a close, and we welcome Razor back here after a month hiatus. We're going to talk NFL. Uh, We're going to talk about the Green Bay Packers, the Kansas City Chiefs. We're going to talk about gambling, the dumb assery of the Tennessee Titans being the one seed. That's my word. Razor was quite kind to the Titans. We try and figure out if Derrick Henry's going to play or not. All that stuff and more, it's coming up here on Take It Easy here on this fine Tuesday. Before we get to that, we have an A and a B block, which basically just means there's two things I wanted to talk about before we go on here on the podcast. One of them is a bit, and it's been a while since I've been able to do a bit, part because I spent two weeks going through the depressive state of trying to clamor and get back the comical sports memes account, looking like rest in peace at this point, to comical sports and just needed to power through the content that we could and we did and we did the best we could because we had some fire ass content in the last few weeks it was wonderful even if it was powering through and using most of my free time to try and recover comical sports but I finally had the time to sit down take a deep breath 
and execute a bit. There are two that I thought of over the last couple weeks while I was back in San Diego and then came back here. We'll, we'll work on the other one probably deeper into the offseason as a bit, or at least keep it in the back of our mind as another parody song. But this one started off as more of like an infomercially type thing, and then I just kept writing jokes down to add to it. But enjoy this bit that we put together of someone looking for a bandwagon potentially it's in the spirit of the infomercial slash up spirited commercials where they try and sell you drugs with tons of side effects but it's with happy voice behind it it's kind of in that vein for the bit that we have here nba style so enjoy this bit i'm not going to say too much because i don't want to spoil it are you tired or bored of your current nba team Have you recently lost a superstar and are now spending years stuck in a rebuild? Are you a Lakers fan who hopped on the bandwagon after the Russell Westbrook trade but are now tired of defending Anthony Davis on Twitter? If you or someone you know is experiencing perpetual mediocrity, then we have a new solution for you. Introducing the new Cleveland Cavaliers. We know it's now been four years since LeBron left. And the Cavaliers have had a really poor reputation, but with the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference, and while currently sitting five games over 500, the Cleveland Cavaliers are a perfect option for any new and adopting bandwagoners. Yes, for 20 years the Cavaliers' strategy was to have the greatest players in the history of basketball be born in the general area of your city. But the Cleveland Cavaliers have pivoted in the last four years. We traded Kyrie Irving, who we got with the number one pick in the draft, and basically only got Colin Sexton in return. We then refused to sign Colin Sexton to his rookie extension, only for Sexton to then tear his meniscus in week one. The Cleveland Cavaliers signed Kevin Love to that four-year $120 million extension, and we still have refused to trade Kevin Love because we are loyal. We know we've drafted in the top five six times in the last 10 seasons, but we've also had more success than 26 other NBA franchises in the last decade. When you join the new Cleveland Cavaliers, some of the perks involved are three fun young rookie stars, the possibility of acquiring Ben Simmons, and no expectations for the 2021-2022 season. That's right, you get all the fun of a team that's allowed to talk shit on Twitter and none of the expectations of actually winning a playoff series. Remember when we had John Beeline and he was basically Urban Meyer before Urban Meyer? Neither do we and we've moved on from this through a pandemic and multiple draft picks to create a new young core of Darius Garland, Isaac Okoro, and Evan Mobley. For all of you who are big fans of NBA Twitter, we also have wonderful attractions such as Ricky Rubio, Chetty Osman, and the legend Taco Fall. That's right, Taco Fall plays for the Cavaliers. Bet you didn't know that. Lakers fans, how excited were you when you guys got Russell Westbrook? Well, if you join the new Cleveland Cavaliers, In seven months, you'll get that joy again when we inevitably trade Kevin Love and Colin Sexton to acquire Russell Westbrook in a move of pure desperation. 
But that's not all, folks. If you sign up in the next 48 hours, you will receive a new Cleveland Cavaliers swag bag, which includes a J.R. Smith tattoo t-shirt, LeBron James's old practice shorts from 2016's championship season, a copy of the Dan Gilbert letter that he sent out after LeBron James decided to join the Miami Heat, two complimentary tickets to a Detroit Pistons Cleveland Cavaliers game worth $6, and Lowry Markinen. So sign up today for the new and improved Cleveland Cavaliers. All signups for new Cleveland Cavaliers are binding through the 2022-2023 season. All signups must be confirmed before the inevitable New York Knicks play-in game in April. Side effects of new Cleveland Cavaliers include fever, chills, cold sweats, Ben Simmons trade rumors, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts or actions, diarrhea, constipation, a longing for LeBron James, and the inexplicable urge to acquire Harrison Barnes at the trade deadline. If you or someone you know experiences any of these symptoms, your doctor may prescribe Orlando Magic as an alternative for new Cleveland Cavaliers. I hope you guys enjoyed that because I really, really enjoyed making it. Like, a lot. Really enjoyed making that. So, for the B block, before we get to Razor Rosenthal, I want to talk about a former Cleveland Cavalier, now Houston Rocket, Kevin Porter Jr. And Kevin Porter Jr. is a player that I've found really, really fascinating over the past, let's say, year plus now. Because... When we were doing the radio show with our friend Martez over at Open Talk Radio 313, the Flash, shout out to them, uh, we did a full podcast on Kevin Porter Jr. And Kevin Porter Jr. was one of the youngest players, I think he was the youngest player drafted in his draft class by the Cleveland Cavaliers, and he had a bunch of interesting moments that popped up in the headlines like back to back to back like it was every three weeks or so there was a series of headlines back right around when the pandemic was going on so this was like mid 2020 into 2021 and one of them was a situation where Kevin Porter Jr. got into a yelling match with Cavaliers teammates and then he was uh charged with he was brought in on weapons charges and there was a moment where his car he was okay but it's just weird when you have a player in an upside down car on the side of the road and then he had a suicidal post a few weeks later and it was really looking like Kevin Porter Jr. was really struggling with the transition to getting to the NBA getting to all your dreams and just the mental health issues that a lot of people have and all of it was dismissed in part and the professionalism around all of it and similar type stuff to what we see with Antonio Brown. And then we have Kevin Porter Jr. in three more incidents. And I put incidents in air quotes because it's just like it's it's headline grabbing. It's the things that I remember Kevin Porter Jr. for is that Kevin Porter Jr. ends up getting traded by the Cavaliers because he was injured and Torian Prince was traded in the James Harden trade along with Jarrett Allen to the Cavs and the Cavs sent like draft picks and George Hill to the Rockets or something like that. But anyways, they, they go through the process of the trade and because Kevin Porter Jr. is injured, Torian Prince gets Kevin Porter Jr.'s locker and Kevin Porter Jr. goes ape and has 
you know, he goes after Prince, goes after coaches, and he's yelling and has to be carried out of the locker room. And then they trade him to the Rockets as like a, this is a last straw situation. We as an organization have decided that we've made the cold calculation that the headache that you provide is not worth what you're bringing on the floor. And so Kevin Porter Jr. gets traded to the Rockets for basically a second round pick. Rare do you ever see a 20-year-old in the NBA, former first round pick, get traded so quickly without those like three moments where it's like, oh, is something going on here beyond basketball? And is this Kevin Porter Jr. having a, a mental health crisis? Is Kevin Porter Jr. have anger management issues? Um, is it unprofessionalism? All the same questions that we're asking about Antonio Brown right now. And Kevin Porter Jr. goes to the Rockets. Once he gets to the Rockets, uh, this was at the end of last season. I want to say it was January of last year. And by the way, it was like a top 55 protected pick. So he pretty much got traded for nothing at that point. And it was weird that he was looking like a bust because he didn't play that terrible. He also had an incident where he got suspended for touching an official. And Kevin Porter Jr. gets to the Rockets. And during the end of the year Rockets where they're just totally playing for nothing, he gets a 50-point game against the Bucks, And he has a 50-point game. And then uh, Sterling Brown, who is a Rockets teammate, ends up getting, I believe, stabbed outside of a strip club. And there is Kevin Porter Jr. in all of the photos attending to him and his teammates in a weird, bizarre situation that probably had nothing to do with Kevin Porter, but it was just weird to see Kevin Porter involved in the situation again. And then yesterday, or I guess it would be Sunday by the time you're listening to this, because this is on Monday, but on Sunday, he has a, a situation with the Rockets where Kevin Porter and Christian Wood get yelled at by John Lucas the third, the son of John Lucas, who's an assistant coach for the Rockets, and he called out Kevin Porter and Wood and Christian Wood's effort, and Porter left. He just left at halftime, got in an Uber, and went home. And Christian Wood refused to sub in in the second half of the game. And both of those players got one-game suspensions, which brings back to what I just said a little bit earlier hinted at. This sounds a lot like the Antonio Brown conversation all over again, except with Antonio Brown, it is a much more polarizing issue because Antonio Brown plays in that sport. And Antonio Brown has had issues across years that are easy to, for people to make fun of. And Kevin Porter Jr., is going under the radar because he's not as talented of a player as Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown's a first ballot Hall of Famer, and Kevin Porter Jr.'s incidents don't include uh, sexual harassment, which was settled, uh, sexual assault, which was settled out of court, and rape charges, which were settled out of court or dropped. I can't remember on the rape charges. Apologies for that. But definitely sexual assault uh, settled out of court and sexual harassment settled out of court by Antonio Brown, refusing to pay people for services and things of these sorts that make you point to Antonio Brown and say that guy is a jerk. And it's easier to empathize with Kevin Porter Jr. when he's posting suicidal messages or when Kevin Porter Jr.'s car is flipped upside down or when Kevin Porter Jr. is crying or, or getting into yelling matches and having anger management issues because those are things that apparently in our society we've decided are easier to empathize with. There are people who make fun of Kevin Porter all the same, but you don't get the same boost uh, 
from making fun of Kevin Porter. And this is something I talked about in our five minutes on Antonio Brown yesterday, which was back in 2019, and I don't know if you can find these podcasts anymore other than on Anchor. So if you want to go to Anchor and go deep into the archives, you can find uh, some of these old podcasts that we did, maybe on Spotify too, but Anchor is probably the place to go. Is Back in 2019, a lot of what I was doing from the podcast was repeating things that other people said and just calling it a podcast because it was me learning to formulate my own opinion, learning how to do this analysis, learning how to do sports talk stuff and not the daily stories. But Antonio Brown was a daily story for like two weeks back when he when he had his falling out with the Raiders. And so Antonio Brown pays his debt, per se, of a year where he's untouchable, He's technically not getting paid, even though he got some of his pay from the Raiders, and then an eight-game suspension for the sexual assault charges. So he goes through a year of not being allowed to play football and eight months of suspension, and then catches two passes in the Super Bowl, and everyone kind of forgets about the Antonio Brown stuff because, oh, Tom Brady's throwing him passes, and this is how Tom Brady stays young. In the case of Kevin Porter Jr., He got traded once, and Kevin Porter Jr. is not the type of player where Kevin Porter Jr. is going to get outright cut and re-signed and given chance after chance after chance. But the Rockets, for basically the same thing Antonio Brown did, now you can argue strike rules and all that stuff and the difference between football and basketball in the long season, but for basically doing the same thing as Antonio Brown the Rockets decided a one-game suspension was all they needed for Kevin Porter Jr. because Kevin Porter Jr. was not expendable for the Houston Rockets. They took a chance on him and understood the situation here, and he's they, they've talked about him having anger management issues and someone who's probably going through a mental health crisis um, for most of his NBA career, and it probably it comes and goes. I don't know if Kevin Porter Jr., has any sort of diagnosed clinical issue. I don't think that's public knowledge at this point of whether or not uh, he has a- any sort of like diagnosable mental health, dis- I don't want to say disorder, but any sort of, uh, God, what's a good word for it? M- any sort of diagnosable clinical mental health issue. Um, but Kevin Porter Jr. exhibits signs of someone having such a situation, and it's public only because this is the information we know. We don't know the day-to-day stuff of Kevin Porter, the same way with Antonio Brown. It's why I don't pass judgment on either, and it's easier for me to empathize with Antonio Brown this time, similarly to how we did before, because he is, because or sorry, because of what we went through with Kevin Porter it makes it easier to kind of like label these cases of mental health issues with empathy. And Antonio Brown is harder to empathize with because Antonio Brown has sexual assault and sexual harassment and rape charges in his past. And Kevin Porter Jr.'s worst case is yelling at a teammate and threatening to punch John Lucas and throwing objects at John Lucas like if and you know threatening to fight Torian Prince is the anger management side of Kevin Porter Jr. and these cases are not apples to oranges but it's impossible to do this analysis because we don't know the players and we don't really know their background but it's easy to take this and maybe apply it to someone that we do know and just generally being empathetic in these situations and when we were talking about Antonio Brown yesterday One of the things I talked about was I felt bad for the way we 
dealt with Antonio Brown the last time we went through this, back in 2019. I felt bad about the way we joked about that, and then it became uh, sexual assault and the Patriots. It was Robert Kraft's decision to cut Antonio Brown after sexual assault charges came out against him, and then it stops being funny, it becomes more serious, and a lot of us don't want to touch that while it's an ongoing legal situation, similar to the Deshaun Watson case, but just on a smaller level, is that we don't want to touch it without having access to all the information because we're afraid of how those are going to age. In the Deshaun Watson case, I would feel uncomfortable talking about any of the football stuff, hard enough to do some of the legal stuff and trying to um, humanize this story. And it's similar in the Antonio Brown case when there is a victim at the expense of someone other than themselves. When it's themselves throwing it away, it's a lot easier to empathize with that because it's easier for all of us to put ourselves in that situation and say, wow, what if I were having this situation and I were throwing away this opportunity? It's at least easier to do it than what if I were Antonio Brown and I were someone who settled out a sexual harassment case and uh, also has rape charges and also has... Uh, sexual assault charges that were also settled out of court. It's it's a lot harder to empathize with that because empathy is essentially putting yourself in the place of another person. And so that's where the kind of divide is there, but there's so many similarities between Kevin Porter and between Antonio Brown. And honestly, I would argue Antonio Brown is probably more valuable to his team than Kevin Porter is to his own. It's just that over a long season and the Rockets being terrible, they don't gain much by getting rid of Kevin Porter other than just to say that they did it. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, if they're at risk of losing the locker room or Bruce Arians standing behind principles of we need to count on you and you quit on the team type of situation, okay, there's nuance to be applied there. But I think also the fact that Antonio Brown wasn't outright cut means Tampa Bay is exploring their options to not have Antonio Brown end up on another team. It looks like there's no chance Antonio Brown gets picked up. And this is it for him at this point, because this is, what, three times that people have kind of caught Antonio Brown in a lot of this stuff and has these public blowups. But at the same time, I don't want to be the person who rains judgment on either of these people. And it's a lot easier to empathize with Kevin Porter than it is to empathize with Antonio Brown, especially because we always want people to take the moral authority out of our hands and say, okay, Antonio Brown, has he paid for his consequences in the past? And not any of the, the silly stuff, like calling John, uh, calling Mike Mayock a cracker or leaking the John Gruden email or John Gruden phone call. That would be funny if Antonio Brown leaked the John Gruden emails, but he leaked the John Gruden phone call that he had in a video and did the freedom thing and the, the, you know, the helmet situation. All that stuff was funny. It was less funny once it became there's an actual victim in this crime. It's it's not a victimless crime anymore. It's it's now uh, with an actual victim, and we don't. I don't know whether similarly to the Sean Watson case. I don't know if an eight game suspension and missing a year of football was equal by Antonio Brown's ruling for what he did. I don't know the answer to that one, but. Some people would argue it wasn't strong enough. Some people would argue it was too strong, similarly to how you can argue it this time around with a one-game suspension for Kevin Porter. Again, 
this is and Antonio Brown this time around is is missing out on we're not bringing him back at all because we don't want the headache anymore. The Cavaliers decided they didn't want the Kevin Porter Jr. headache anymore, and the Rockets are deciding we're going to ride this out and we're going to put our resources behind this person and we're going to keep him around because it's valuable to the Houston Rockets. And the Buccaneers have decided that the juice isn't worth the squeeze on Antonio Brown anymore. And I find it so fascinating that these two situations have come up in the same weekend, and there's so many parallels between the two, especially when we're talking about trying to empathize with people who look like they're really struggling and empathizing with people who look like they're going through mental health crises. And with that being said, let us welcome in Razor Rosenthal to talk about gambling and fantasy football, and the NFL, and all kinds of fun football talk, even though I have fun talking about this stuff, this stuff with nuance and perspective and unique takes and formulating opinions is fun for me. I think the other stuff is just more candy, and I think more fun. Hello? Kyle, how you doing? Howdy, Razor. I am doing excellent today. How are you, how have you been over the last month? I've been good, man. You know, getting through the holidays, getting through Antonio Brown's mischiefs. Hope that didn't hurt too many people in their fantasy championship game yesterday. Uh, but can't complain. Ready to go. Ready to chat with you. Fantastic. I am uh, I'm excited for it. So uh, you meant it seems like Antonio Brown is something that's on your mind. Did you want to start there? Was there something else interesting that you found on this wonderful football Monday that people are hearing on a Tuesday? Well, you know, obviously bizarre situation, you know, have to feel bad for, in my opinion, Tom Brady here, who uh, I know a lot of people don't love Tom Brady because he's so good, but this guy is just so classy. You know, I think he's done so much for Antonio Brown and tried to, you know, save him from the football grave. And yet Antonio Brown fails again. Uh, perhaps it's mental illness. Perhaps it's just a selfish guy. We don't really know, but um, just felt like we had to bring that up real quick. Antonio Brown, I think the big news yesterday, what a bizarre situation at MetLife Stadium. And uh, I, I know it did hurt a lot of, a lot of friends of mine were t- texting me about, you know, this guy is going to cost me a fantasy championship possibly. So I'm sure some of your listeners, it could have been uh, good or bad, depending on if they were playing against or had Antonio Brown yesterday. So a fascinating story yesterday at MetLife. So as we're sitting right now, I am up about 40 something points and he has Nick Chubb left. So I feel pretty good that I'm going to win the championship, but I'm also just mentally preparing in the back of my mind for the 250 yard Nick Chubb game that just swipes my heart because you know, it's a, this would be cool to win a championship for second time in four years in my league, but that's where I'm sweating it out. I'm just, I'm not going to watch the sun. Or maybe I'll watch part of the Monday night game once it's like officially over. But last week I spent like three and a half hours watching to see if Waddle could get 20 fantasy points. And it, it wasn't fun. I will say it was, it was sweating it out the way a gambler sweats out a big bet that's coming down to the end. It's tough. No, it's just so much fun. That's why we play fantasy football. I'm going to give you Nick Chubb's stat line here. Uh, by the way, disclosing this is several hours before Monday Night Football. My handicap on Nick Chubb is 93 yards on the ground, 22 in the air, and a touch 
he will not get 40 points in any format. So you are a fantasy football champion. That is that is hopefully what I'm wanting to hear at the end of the night because I I limped my way to the championship, uh, but thankfully I had Jamar Chase yesterday. So that I is did the too. thing that's I did get too. There. I am a I am a I am a Jamar Chase owner in two leagues, and I am a fantasy football champion in two leagues. So let's uh, let's pat myself on the back real quick there. <laughs> How many leagues do you play every year? I play in five. I play in five leagues. Uh, I, I won two championships. That's what it takes, really, to. You know, for me to get where I need to be financially, I have to win one. So um, winning winning two is just a massive bonus. I have a couple leagues that are, you know, higher end, and then some of them are not as high end. Uh, I won two leagues that were kind of in the middle. I got crushed in my high high entry league, which is not what you want to do. You know, I finished um, made the playoffs. Actually, I was I was I was a terrible six seed that uh, navigated to the playoffs and had no business being there. And, um, you know, so I don't earn any money there, but I, I love it. Five, five leagues every year. I think that's kind of the most I want to navigate through and uh, one, two championships. I'm excited. See, I see. I like the math on this because you, you look up and you're like, okay, so every year to make it worth it, you need like one championship. Cause assuming like, I don't know, let's say there's 12 people in the league and then maybe they pay out a second place or a third place, or maybe it's a winner go home thing is that, to make back your money, you would have to win one of your leagues in order to get basically what you're putting in in certain places. It's interesting math around that. Um, I, I, we play this one that I have that's not big money, but I've now won it two years in a row, or not two years in a row, two times in four years. And it's fun in that way where I look up, I'm like, wow, I'm actually kind of smart at football. And then the other side, I'm like, I'm also just ridiculously lucky when it comes to this stuff because I thought my team wasn't going to be great coming out of the draft. And lo and behold, I lose Derrick Henry, I lose James Robinson, I lose Chris Godwin, and I still win the championship. Well, that's incredible. You know, I think it's an interesting uh, debate whether or not fantasy football takes some serious skill. Not, DFS, I believe, does. Seasonal, there's a lot more luck. But, you know, I, I you know, it, it, it goes to show, like, I feel like when I play in the big money leagues, there's a lot of sharp guys in there. And they seem to just really make good moves in the late rounds, identify talent that they think have a chance to be viable flex players throughout the whole year. That makes a huge difference. And, you know, like, you know, a bit, those big entry leagues, I haven't won one yet. Uh, I don't know if I just haven't had the luck go my way or it is skill, but um, I, I feel more comfortable going into the draft with, with more square, you know, players than I do with guys that are willing to put up a big entry fee for a season long league. So, you know, my, my goal one day, Kyle, I, I do want to go to Vegas. I do want to play in the, uh, in the world series of fantasy football where you, you know, you go into these drafts where, you know, in late August and there's just hundreds of them. There's not just one, they call it the world series. It's just anyone, anyone could do it. You just have to put up about three, three to $5,000 to join a one in 12 team league, just like you do on Yahoo, except it's in person. And obviously, whoever you're going to is going to is going to get a piece of the action, how they make money. So they probably, you know, make about a thousand to two thousand dollars per league and they pay out the champion. It's it's just a, it's just something that is a dream, you know, to do if you're if you're a sports better or fantasy player. That, that's the ultimate goal is to get to Vegas, put together a bankroll and try to compete with some of uh, some really sharp people in our country. Uh, and that's available at several casinos uh, and hotels throughout the uh, month of August. That seems like a fun dream to have. I feel like that could be something interesting for people who are really into 
football and the the fantasy sports aspect of it. I know people play daily fantasy sports as more of like a for fun thing, and it's really hard to win one of those tournaments. But I, I think that that'd be a really fun dream to have for someone who's really deep into the football, the the football gambling and the football fantasy sides and all the the things around football. That seems like a perfect thing. Well, if you think about it, Kyle, you're still you're getting 13 weeks of entertainment, right? So, I mean, you're putting in four thousand dollars, but you know, just think of it as an investment of approximately two hundred dollars per week, and the payout is astronomical. You know, the, the winner of those leagues, so they're typically bringing home twenty twenty five thousand dollars, and it's not impossible to win. You know, it's not like you're not scratching off a lottery ticket. You're not you're, you're not you're not picking three numbers. You know, in 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 the Florida State Lottery, the California State Lottery. I mean, this is this is something that anyone with NFL knowledge takes some loss, takes some skill. And what a fun investment, you know, to, to navigate for, for 14, 15 weeks. It's pretty fun. Yeah. It's like a gigantic bet. It's like, a, yeah. it's like regular fantasy Keeps football, going. but just add the stakes to it. That's it. That's it. So yeah, anyways, that, that's just wanted to throw that out. Some fantasy football talk and Antonio Brown and then uh, whatever else you want to chat about today. Well, let me ask you, because we got a week left in the season here, uh, about a couple of these storylines that probably won't be important in two weeks, but this week it's important. So uh, 49ers win or go home game, and they need uh, the Saints need them to lose and then them to beat the Falcons, which, you know, they should do. But at the same time, you know, it's Saints and Falcons and weird shit happens when the Saints play the Falcons. So uh, 49ers and Saints at this point, what do you think of that situation? Well, let's just tell, let me just tell you this: San Francisco in the last five games against the Rams. How many? How many times have they beaten them? Five. I'm going to say. Oh, I just wow. sorry, I answered for you. I just answered for you. My apologies. My apologies. Yeah, they have won the last five meetings with the Rams. Now, uh, you're right. Atlanta, New Orleans has always been one of the toughest games to handicap. Every single time they play, it's always between three and six and a half. As long as Atlanta is somewhat decent. And that's just a really difficult game to figure out. The New Orleans Saints offense for three and a half quarters was pitiful yesterday against Carolina. Carolina's D is pretty good. Carolina's D is actually much better than Atlanta. Uh, So New Orleans, you know, they are in a better spot than San Francisco. Uh, They're a favorite to win this game against Atlanta. San Francisco, I think, is catching four or five points against the Rams. The Rams do have something to play for. They want to host two games as opposed to one. Obviously, if they're the two seed, they're going to get the, the divisional game and the wild card game in L.A., where the three seed will only get one home game. So L.A. is going to play hard. I mean, they're not going to sit anybody. I, you know, I, I, I think the Rams win this game. I, I think they've figured out their defense, which was so promising and, and, and struggled a little bit in midseason. And, you know, I think that Vaughn, the addition of him, you know, it didn't look so good early on, but they figured it out. I, I think the Rams win this game against San Francisco. Trey Lance struggled mightily against Houston for two and a half quarters. Give me the Rams. And, you know, the Saints-Falcons, I, I think New Orleans will persevere. I think that they're going to keep the ball on the ground with both Hill and Kamara and just kind of wear down an Atlanta team who has really absolutely nothing to play for. So I think I think the Saints are in, and, and, and I think that you're going to see New Orleans ironically play at L.A. Uh, the following weekend. How hard is it for you to do analysis on the 49ers with Trey Lance at quarterback? 
That's difficult. You know, I think Jimmy G's pretty good. I, I know he gets a lot of heat. I think that I think he's he's pretty he's a pretty good quarterback. I think Lance brings another element of running the ball, but I also think you kind of lose that deep ball threat. He had a great pass to Debo Samuel, but we're not going to see that as frequent. Those twenty yard routes to Kittle. I felt like Jimmy G was is the better play there, but I, and I don't know the status of Jimmy G. Let me just let me just say this. I think the the Niners have a better chance to beat the Rams with Garoppolo than they do Lance. So let me throw that out. And, and do you know the status of Garoppolo? Is, is he, does he have a chance to play on Sunday? It's looking like he's probably not because this is an injury that would put someone out for six months, potentially with a torn oh. ligament in his thumb, okay. but okay. they're pretty much, they're keeping him available because at this point they want to, uh, they, they want to keep the options on the table just in case, but this would be an injury that normally would be season ending. Yeah, so I, I think I think that the, the advantage may maybe the Niners have an advantage that the Rams don't have enough tape on Lance versus all the times they played against Garoppolo. That could be an edge towards the Niners, but I'll tell you what, it's gonna be a close game. Looking ahead, probably one of those games where I bet both sides kind of take the easy way out and hope for a middle bet just like I did with Philly. Our beer life bet yesterday recommended was the Philly money line and the football team against the spread. They both hit, right? Football team plus six, lose by four. Philly money line hits. Almost want to do that next week with the Rams and the Niners. Give me the Rams probably at minus 190 and give me the Niners at plus four. Let's hopefully the Rams win by one to three points. Okay. That sounds logical there. And the other part for the Rams that we didn't mention is like they're battling two versus three, but if they lose, it opens the door for the Cardinals to swipe the NFC West still. So the the Cardinals would slide into the three seed and the Rams would go to five and then have to go to Dallas for their first playoff game. Yeah. Great point you make there. I failed to mention that as well. So I, I think there's just so much to play for. If you're the Rams, and I, I trust them in this spot. I know Stafford is just in big spots, big games, not very good. But this is not a prime time game, right? Like if Matt, if this was on Sunday Night Football, I'd be a little scared betting on Matt Stafford. It's a four o'clock game. Sure, it will be showcased, but it's not going to be the game that everybody's going to have their eye on. So I'm going to go ahead. I like the Rams here in the money line spot, but let's play it safe. Let's let's wait for the line. Let's see if this grows to five or five and a half, and let's. Take the Niners against the spread. I found that so funny that this year there are three primetime flex games because every year you you wait and see like who's NBC going to put on the Sunday night game. And last year there were so many crazy clinching scenarios, and then they ended up choosing Eagles versus Giants as the last game of the season. And this year Chargers Raiders winner go home for the final playoff spot. And I think four years ago it was like Colts and Titans on Sunday night football, and they put the one that has the most stakes behind it but they also got to flex two games onto espn and they chose like chiefs and broncos which has basically no stakes anymore because the titans are going to be the one seed for some godforsaken reason and the chiefs are going to be the two seed and then the other one is cowboys and eagles which i guess is you know it's interesting but the Cowboys, barring like tampa losing to carolina the cowboys are going to be the four seed and the eagles are going to be the seven if the 49ers win and the six if the 49ers lose so it's like the eagles have clinched the cowboys have pretty much locked up their spot they didn't really pick fun games to flex into the the primetime slots yeah i don't have an explanation for those saturday games they're really somewhat meaningless but let me say something 
six or seven weeks ago when you had me on your podcast, you said, what's the best value play for the number one overall seed in the AFC? And it was at plus 450. And this is right, but maybe the couple of days before the Derrick Henry injury. And I said, Tennessee is going to win the number one overall seed. And boy, was I lucky there because Tennessee is in a great spot. Now, they did lose to Houston about six, seven weeks ago, I think at the time when, when right a couple of days before, you know, we had our podcast. But Tennessee is going to win the one seed, uh, which is a miracle win at plus 450, plus 500 at the time. And I did say, you know, Kansas City, I think probably nine weeks ago on your podcast when their value was incredible to win the AFC West was down to minus 125. I hope people took that because that was a gift when they were three and four or three and three at the time. And L.A. was ascending. Even Vegas was ascending. It's just I just had to believe Kansas City was going to. And the Broncos started three and oh, and people wanted to convince themselves the Broncos were a good team. Yeah. So, you know, I got lucky with Tennessee, but I felt like Kansas City was a sharp play, easy play. And I hope I hope many people on the show listen and uh, cash that ticket. That's a ticket I, I have cashed already. So we're, we're in a good spot there. That was such bullshit. The Titans being the one seed. That's just it's ridiculous because we know we know the Titans are not that good. The fact that they get the first round by and. We we're gonna watch now. Fortunately, it looks like we might get uh we might get Mahomes versus Herbert for a third time in the playoffs. Like that's still a very real possibility. But the fact that the Chiefs don't get the number one seed is just dumb at this point. That and and the fact that it comes down to tiebreaker is the thing that makes it dumb for me. Is like no eleven and five or twelve and five team should be the number one seed in the AFC, and yet the Titans who like post Derrick Henry have gone like three and three or four and three are going to be the number one seed is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It's really choppy in there. It, it's kind of murky to see who's going to win the AFC. I mean, you look at yesterday and you almost want to say if Cincinnati can figure out better defense, that is a consistent offense. I don't, they don't have a tight end like Kelsey, right? They don't have that stud tight end. But my goodness, Boyd as your number three behind the best receiver, perhaps in the AFC. And then Higgins is Higgins is maybe one of the best wide receiver twos uh, in the league. And Joe Burrow, who's better than Burrow in the AFC? Maybe Pat Mahomes. Uh, maybe not Josh Allen. I can tell you that. I, I, I think this team is dangerous, but it is Cincinnati. And they, they tend to, you know, lose big games in big spots, let their fan base down. I think, you know, they, they, I guess they're not going to be able to move up because Kansas City and Tennessee have such easy games. So Cincinnati's a three seed. And again, it's just tough to really ensure everyone they're going to win, you know, that, that wild card game against an Indianapolis or New England team. I, I don't know, but very excited for the Bengals. This is a very fun team to watch. Well, the Bengals, I thought were going to be the four seed because there was, you know, the Patriots were the two seed a long way through. But at this point, I'm hoping the Browns don't do something dumb and beat the Bengals because I really want to see Patriots and Bills in the wild card because it's like a second round caliber matchup. I want to watch that in the wild card because it's going to make wild card weekend so much more fun if we have those. You could realistically see this as a conference championship or a second round matchup, and then you get to see it in the wild card. Uh, I think that's going to make it super fun. So Bengals, 
please don't lose to the Browns the last week of the season so that we can get, because if the Patriots play the Bengals, I feel confident that the Patriots will win that game, but the Bengals have been super fun recently and I've been pretty wrong about the Bengals this year. So maybe, maybe it would be closer than I thought, but boy, I want to see Patriots and bills on wildcard weekend. I, I think if you're the Buffalo Bills, you want to be the number four seed. And I'm going to tell you why. I think you want to avoid Jonathan Taylor, and I think you want to avoid Pat Mahomes. So if you're the Bills, your path would likely be New England, which we saw what they did to, to them in Foxborough two weeks ago. And I think they could beat Tennessee, obviously. T- Tennessee is, is, to me, a Fugazi team at times. Fugazi, for those who don't know, fake. That's an Italian slang. I, I, I think Buffalo's path to the AFC championship game is through Nashville via New England the game before. So if you're Buffalo, you want Cincinnati to take care of business on Sunday, which will not be easy in Cleveland. That will not be easy. I know Cleveland Cleveland may lay down tonight. I haven't really figured out who I'm taking yet tonight. You know, there's so much public money on Pittsburgh tonight. The, the whole thing about Ben's last game, and it just seems like a sucker's play because Pittsburgh is terrible. Uh, they cannot stop the run against the guy that you do not want to see go off. I think Cleveland may win this game. So I don't think Cleveland goes away against their rivals. If Cleveland was traveling to like, who knows, you know, the, the Giants or San Francisco, I think Cleveland lays down. But they're not laying down as Cincinnati or Pittsburgh. I really don't think so. I, I, I think this is going to be a tough game tonight, and I think Cincinnati has their hands full next Sunday. But as a Bills fan, you should want New England and Tennessee. So people trying to figure out the clinching scenarios, Pittsburgh and Cleveland are technically not eliminated yet from the playoffs. The thing is, the only thing keeping them alive is the crazy possibility that they win both of their last two games and the Colts have to lose to the Jaguars, which is pretty much not going to happen. But for all intents and purposes, those teams are basically eliminated at this point, unless we have a chaos situation breakout. Uh, yeah, I think the the Bills on the other side of that with figuring out the AFC playoff picture, uh, everyone just wants the Raiders, right? That's pretty much what everyone in the AFC is saying. Can we just somehow get the Raiders in and then we get to play the Raiders in the first round? That's basically like a bye week. The Raiders are a great story, though. The, the throw on third and 10 from the Indianapolis 45 by Derek Carr was world-class. And Hunter Renfro, world-class as well. I think that the Raiders are a bad football team that have had some luck over the last few weeks. Um, and that game against the Chargers, I'll tell you what, I mean, I don't trust the Chargers defense against a good offense, Kyle. I really don't. I don't. I, I obviously not not thinking about that game long way away. But the Raiders will get destroyed by Kansas City. We've seen that happen way too often but what a good story if the Raiders make it right you know with with everything that went went down early on the season the Vegas Raiders uh would be a fun story to make the playoffs but they would be absolutely manhandled by Kansas City uh if they had to play at Arrowhead that's the thing I keep saying is it would be cool if they make the playoffs but there's absolutely no way this is a good playoff game at all like there's no way that the Raiders getting in would be good there is a weird tiebreaker scenario though where the Raiders win tiebreakers against the Colts and the Patriots so 
if the Raiders get in, there is no scenario where they would be the seven seed. If they beat the Chargers, they're automatically at least the six seed. And then if the Patriots lose, they would be the five seed in the AFC, even though we know they're not actually that good. But I assume the Patriots will beat the Dolphins. I mean, weird shit happens when the Patriots play the Dolphins, but I feel like the Patriots are probably going to be the five seed. And then the Raiders would be the three seed which means, congr- oh, God, Raiders in Cincinnati. Oh, God, that that is a weird playoff game. <laughs> it's ex- a path for Cincinnati to get through, I think, pretty easily. Uh, you know, they they need they need the Vegas Raiders. I don't Cincinnati versus New England and Indianapolis. Very scary for them. Right. Uh, I, I just I don't know. I, I think the Patriots, to me, outside of Vegas, are are a team that. I could see getting manhandled by a good football team, but there's not too many good football teams on the AFC side, right? If you put the New England Patriots uh, in the NFC, I think the Rams manhandle them. I think I think that the Packers destroy them. I even think teams like I was going to say Tampa Bay, but geez, Tampa Bay is in, a, is in disarray. But I'd I still give it Patriots. to Tampa just because Tampa's yeah. defense. Well, the Tampa secondary is terrible. I mean, the Jets first half, you and I could have played wide receiver and tight end and moved down the field. They were horrible. I mean, I watched that game on red zone. The Jets moved the ball with ease and accuracy. Uh, it was, it was They have serious problems on the back end, the Tampa Bay secondary. This year, I, I feel confident saying without God, Chris Wynn, of course, that's Chris Godwin, if you don't know that nickname, um, and a horrible secondary. I feel confident saying the Tampa Bay Buccaneers cannot get to the Super Bowl because of those two mitigating factors. Antonio Brown's a problem. Losing him is a problem. But God, Chris Wynn, and a horrific secondary are more of a problem. I don't see them getting past the Rams or the Packers this year. Yeah, because, I mean, Dallas almost beat them week one, too. That's obviously a distant memory now, but Dallas is still right in that weird camp of teams that can stay in the game with anyone. They're not going to really get blown out by anyone because of the high upside offense. So I, I tend to agree with you, but also see a path where Tampa can still end up in the conference championship by going into Los Angeles and winning because sure. it's, 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 it's the exact same thing last year. It was, we're going to go into Drew Brees' house. We're going to win. We're going to go into Aaron Rodgers' house. We're going to win. We're going to play at home. We're going to play the Chiefs and Chiefs are going to have injuries and we're going to win. Now, like you said, not the same Bucks team this year as last year. So maybe they stumble in one of those places and they don't get bailed out when Tom Brady throws an interception on three consecutive drives. But it, it is interesting that team against low upside offense of the Patriots would be fascinating to watch again. Um, to the point before that in the AFC to not go all the way to the, all the way off the tangent was it feels like Kansas City's the only team that I fear in the AFC and everyone else can compete, but everyone else can also beat each other up based on how these weird tiebreakers break on the last week of the season. Well, I could tell you this about Buffalo. If Buffalo would actually use the system of running the football, which is not in their DNA this year on occasion, Kyle, I think they'd be okay. The problem is, is Josh Allen's turning the ball over way too much. 
the play calling appears to be obvious on the other side of the, of, of the field. They know he's throwing. So these defensive coordinators don't have to be geniuses. Let's drop back seven guys every single time in zone and let's pick this guy off. And that's what's happening way too often for Buffalo. But if Buffalo can figure out a way to scheme in Moss and Singletary, throw in a little bit of Brita, they got to run the ball. They got to keep their defense off the field. Buffalo is dangerous if they can run the football. So let's see what happens there. But I – I don't know. I agree. I think Kansas City is the only major threat here. I, I just, I don't know. I just don't see Buffalo putting it together. I don't trust Tennessee's firepower. AJ Brown is the only thing they have that I'm afraid of. Uh, you know, the running game is not bad. Form is not bad, but uh, give me the Kansas City Chiefs at this juncture to go to the Super Bowl once again. And Derrick Henry's just kind of hanging out over there, getting ready to limp on the field and say, if we're going to be the one seed, damn it, we're, this is the best chance we're ever going to get. All the tiebreakers have gone our way. Damn it, we're going to have Derrick Henry limp out with a broken foot and try and run the ball for 50 yards. Yeah. Uh, you know, is Derrick Henry, and you can educate me on this, is, does he have any chance to return for the playoffs? Derrick Henry is working through drills but can't, play contact football right now they kept saying there's a chance he's gonna play but this feels like uh this feels like one of those cam Akers is returning from an achilles injury after five months where it's like we probably shouldn't be doing this but you know team doctors are only the 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 job of team doctors is to get players healthy enough to play and this is kind of one of those conflicts of interest where henry wants to play the titans want him to play but the body might not be ready to play it feels like yeah, I, I tell you what, though, if he comes back, you know, and at least, you know, maybe the AFC championship game, that's a game changer. Now, they're hosting the game in Nashville, and he's out there. Ooh, that changes everything because they can have ball control. They can move the ball down the field. They can have eight-minute drives with Henry. They can't do that without him. So, if Henry's back, I think the Titans are a threat to Kansas City. Without him, I, I give me Kansas City. Kansas City versus Green Bay. I know I'm going ahead of myself, but I tell you, watching Green Bay last night, that's a good football team. They don't make many mistakes. Yeah, I, it's so fascinating because Green Bay, the past three seasons, has gone from team that we respect as an elite team and then got dismantled in one game against a 49ers team that was just a matchup-based thing, and now it's the thing we associate the Packers with is, oh yeah, they got dismantled by the 49ers to best team in football loses in an upset to this year, best team in football again. And it's so fascinating because who would have thought Aaron Rodgers would have repeated as MVP, but also obviously Aaron Rodgers would be able to repeat as MVP because everything he's done for the past, you know, 10 seasons has been great, but also has been replicably, 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 Wow, that was bad. Recably, recably, wow. You can replicate it over and over again. (laughs) He's been able to do it over and over. And, you know, having only four interceptions in three or three interceptions in the last 15 games and throwing 40 touchdowns again is insane that it's possible. But also we've seen him do it for years and years now. And I'm so fascinated by what this Packers team is going to look like in the playoffs because they just have more talented players than everyone else they're facing. You know what they also have, Kyle, that a lot of teams don't have are two running back ones. A.J. Dillon is a top 10 running back in the NFL, perhaps, you know, and then you have Aaron Jones, who's 
kind of right there with them at this point. I mean, I, I think they're both really 1A, 1B. That takes a lot of pressure off you. And so now as a defense, you're just like, okay, if we double Adams, we're going to leave this running game just wide open for dump-off passes or just simple handoffs. I think the combo of Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon is not talked about enough. I can't think of a team. You tell me a team that that is top four in the AFC or NFC that have a better running back duo than Dillon and Jones. You find me that team, and I'll salute you. I don't see it. I mean, that's a huge thing. I can't think of a better running back duo other than like last year's Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt situation. Sure, like sure, I, I yeah. can't think of anyone in the last four or five years that's been like that. And it's, it's so fascinating for the Packers because they've got, you know, this, they, they've got the generational type quarterback and now they've combined it with amazing running backs, maybe the best wide receiver in the NFL, maybe the best left tackle in the NFL. Elton Jenkins was a second round pick and he's amazing inside. They've got Jair Alexander, one of the best corners in the NFL. They, they bring in Kenny Clark and now he's a pro bowler and they can kind of stop the run. And Devondre Campbell had a great start to the season. And it's like all over the place. You find star players and rare does that happen, but rare does that happen where they have it. And then we don't really talk about it in that way. Like everyone knew the Legion of boom had talented players at five, six, seven different positions. The Packers have that same combination and we don't really talk about it in the same way. Their defense is incredible. I think just as good as those Seattle defenses right now, just look at stats. They don't have the sexy names and then all, you know, all the, all the things that come with that, but it it listen numbers talk. And then, you know, you mentioned Chubb and hunt. I agree. That's probably a little bit more of a deadly combination. But they had Baker Mayfield and they had Landry as their wide receiver one, right? This is Rodgers and Devontae Adams with that combination of of, uh, Jones and Dylan. It's not even close. It's it's, it's not even comparable. So I, I think the Packers have that going for them this year. And I think, you know, Tampa Bay, you know, was or maybe is their kryptonite. But Tampa Bay has no Lenny. No Chris Godwin, no secondary. I don't fear the Tampa Bay Bucks. I'm going to make that line. If Tampa finds their way to Lambeau this year, somehow at the end of this month, I think it's Packers seven and a half. What would it be if it were the Rams who made their way to Lambeau? I, I think it's about the same. I think it's about the same. I think, I think everybody that plays Green Bay in the NFC championship game must be a touchdown and a hook or more. So the Rams, I think the Rams are eight and a half. I think Tampa gets a little more respect because of what they've done, what they've proven. Give me, give me the look ahead lines and you could, we, we could, we could review this if I'm right or wrong, if I'm way off, look ahead line, Tampa plus seven and a half, look ahead line, uh, LA eight or eight and a half. Everybody else, man, maybe Dallas eight and a half, nine as well. Arizona, perhaps about the same. I just don't see anybody under a touchdown in late January in Green Bay. Yeah, I think you're probably right there because there just aren't that many elite teams this year in the NFL. Hence the fact that the goddamn 12 and five Titans are going to be the one seed in the AFC is that there's a lot of very good, but there's not a lot of elite this year in the NFL. And part of that separator might just be Lamar Jackson got hurt and Buffalo is you know buffalo josh allen has regressed from last year even if it's ever so slightly like it's not like josh allen is the person he was two years ago but he's not the same quarterback he was last year and you know the rams 
looked overwhelming at the start of the year and then came down to earth and the Cardinals got hurt. And it's just like, there's so many weird circumstances that leave it. Like are the Packers, the only team we know for certain is good. I, I would also throw the chiefs in there, but the, the Packers and chiefs are the only teams we know for certain are good or I'm sorry, not good. Great. I agree with you hundred percent. I think, I think, you know, those are the two teams that should make it there. I think the chiefs, let's talk about the chiefs look at headlines. If, they travel to Nashville without Henry, Kansas City, five and a half, um, hosting Buffalo, probably seven and a half. So the Chiefs are the, the team to beat in the AFC. But let's see. I'll tell you what. How about Cincinnati, Kansas City in a couple weeks from now? Ooh, man, that could be a thrilling game with these two offenses. That's a 3-2 matchup. It reminds me a lot of that time where the Browns went to Cleveland or went to Kansas City last year yeah. in the playoffs. and. It was crazy, and Mahomes got hurt, and that game was just off the ropes. And it was like, this can't be how this whole season culminates with Mahomes getting hurt and the Browns having a comeback. And oh, that would be that would be great. I, I I'll take more Bengals and Chiefs after watching that game this weekend. I'll take that. Chad Henney, Chad Henney saved my money line uh, game of the year last year when I laid a big number on Kansas City versus Cleveland. Uh, what a play by Chad Henney on what was that fourth and a yard and a half at midfield. Wow. And then running the quick, you know, roll to your right, throw to Tyreek Hill play that the oh, Ravens goodness. tried to run twice in a row with Mark Andrews. It's who that game was crazy last year. Why, why do the chiefs play crazy playoff games all the time? Like they, they win most defense. of them. It's because their defense lets them down. You know, it's like, their defense finds a way, and they didn't find a way yesterday because of just horrible man coverage, but they find a way over the last two and a half years in these huge spots on that, you know, to, to pull off some interception, to pull off a sack, but the whole game for three and a half quarters just getting eaten up alive, and they've done a good job. They've done a good job the last six games, Kansas City, in their run. But yesterday was the Kansas City of old that we saw the first quarter of the season. They they were on their heels. Their backs were turned. It was a disaster for the Chiefs. And if you bet on the Chiefs, you had that game. They, I mean, Kansas City just couldn't do it. And honestly, the defense, you can blame the defense for sure. But how many points did Kansas City score uh, in the second half? I believe three. Do I have that right? Yes, it was three points, and they had the kick return touchdown called back on a penalty. So they already had 35 by halftime, and then they only scored 31 in the game. Yeah, that's it. Kansas City just just somehow did not find a way to win that game, and a lot of it to blame had to be on the offense. And again, you go back to running the football. You have to run the football in the NFL. And Williams is not bad. Williams is okay because their offense is such – such high octane, you know, receivers and, and tight ends and Patty Mahomes. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I trust Mixon more than Williams. I trust a lot of these guys more than Williams. I think that Buffalo and Kansas City's kryptonite is the inability to run the football. And if you're a good defensive coordinator, you're going to figure that out if you have a good team in the playoffs. Yeah, getting Clyde Edwards a lair back is going to help a little bit for them, but it's not like he's a special type of running back. He's a no. he's a fine running back, and that's better than what they have right now. Yeah, he's been a pretty big fantasy boss, and I know this doesn't matter in real football, but Edwards Elaire, I mean, he's you know, yeah, inside the five yard line, he's going to score. He can get you in the end zone, but in between the twenties, he's been a huge bust. 
Yeah, except for the couple games where the Chiefs decide our entire offensive philosophy is going to be running the football like they did to kind of correct things early on in the season against like the Packers without Jordan Love and the Cowboys game. They kind of decided we're going to just run the ball with 35 or 35 times as a team. And those are games where Clyde's numbers look good, even if it wasn't the most efficient way to move the ball. But getting him back is like... He's in this place. He's like the the Tua syndrome at this point that I say is like, well, it's not great, but it's better than the backups. It's like we know yeah. Clyde Edwards-Alaire is a top 32 running back, which I don't think the Chiefs have any other top 32 running backs on their team besides him. No, no, they don't. And I, I again, I, I think I think you, you go back to Kansas City and Get 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 the defense right. Figure it out. Run the ball a little bit with some efficiency. Unbeatable in the AFC. Yeah, that's kind of where I see it too at this point, and I think that they're going to end up in the Super Bowl. Uh, but that's a little early to have to start. I, I can only pound the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl drum so much without it getting obnoxious. So, um, how about college football playoff? What'd you make of the games from? Friday or the game going forward or just anything in the college football world other than, you know, Matt Corral getting hurt or bowl games that don't really matter. (laughs) Yeah. I I think the things that you have to, you have to follow in these bowl games is the fact that the sec in the big bowl games are typically too good when they have their best teams, they dominate the better teams from these other conferences. Now, now I'm not talking about the Gasparilla bowl or, you know, the other bowl games that were held on December 20th and sec team struggled. I'm talking about Alabama playing a Cincinnati team and Georgia playing a Michigan team beer life. We gave out two big plays and we played both Georgia and Alabama against the spread. I took Georgia money line as my biggest play of the year, Kyle. That was a, uh, a ticket really just didn't have to worry about uh, as soon as the game started. Uh, so yeah, I think the Baylor Ole Miss game was interesting. It's like, it's kind of like Vegas knew the script because Vegas just absolutely crushed that game with over money and Ole Miss money coming in, went the other way, took Baylor plus one and a half, whatever that line ended. It was just, just too much money going on, going one way. So you have to look at that moving forward guys in the bowl season, the public just happens to gravitate to some of these games and they put too much emphasis on, Oh, the sec is going to dominate the American league on December 20th. It doesn't happen. Those, those teams, a lot of times the Florida Gators are a great example. They don't care. They don't play hard. They, when things and chips are down, they're not going to fight. But when it comes to the to the to the to the New Year's Day bowls and beyond, it just seems like it's the same script every single year. The, the SEC dominates. Uh, not surprising whatsoever to ask, answer your question about the playoffs. Georgia and Alabama clearly better than both of the teams they played against. Uh, this is a great game coming up uh, a week from tonight. I'm going to go ahead, kind of use that same theory as I gave you with San Francisco, Los Angeles. Going to take the Georgia money line pretty big, but I'm also going to sprinkle in Alabama plus three and a half. I'm going to buy it up from two and a half, get me to three and a half, and maybe Georgia wins by three. Uh, I'm going to play it. I'm going to play it big on the money line with the Bulldogs. I think they get the revenge. I think the Bulldogs are the better team. Uh, I really do. I, I know that was a bizarre situation what happened in the Georgia Dome that, that they got blown out the way they did, but this team is really 
good. And I think they are going to beat Alabama, who's very one-dimensional. If you saw what they did against Cincinnati, run, 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 run. I don't think they could do that against Georgia's defensive line. Uh, let's play a small Alabama play on the ATS. Maybe they backdoor cover. Maybe they just lose straight up in a back-and-forth game by two or three or four points. But I, I like Georgia on the money line. Better team. Uh, not, not, not better coached, but better team. That is really thorough analysis, and I'm not sure there's anything I can really add to it. That was that was very well done. Uh, that felt like the perfect five-minute college football championship preview I was looking for. That That's about as much as I would like to spend previewing this game because I think it's just going to be really fun and people should watch it. So uh, thank you for the very good analysis on that. I'm glad I delivered. I'm glad I delivered that. Yeah, exciting to see it. I think, I think these are the two best teams in college football. And we are going to see them, you know, battle out in Indianapolis. And I got the dogs. I'm going dogs. I've already played them on the money line hard. I'm going to let this line maybe creep up for my Alabama play. Maybe there'll be some money coming in on Georgia to push that line up to three or three and a half. And I could buy it up to four, four and a half, pay a little juice and make it a a good investment there where you can't go 0-2 when you take Georgia money line and Bama against the spread. Maybe I can go 2-0 though. But the bigger play will be on the Georgia money line. Yeah, you're banking more on Georgia to win the game outright. And if, you know, if Alabama does happen to keep it close, that's just a little added bonus for you. Correct. Yep. Yeah, I get that. And to your point about these being the two best teams in college football, I would argue that just happened to be a year where they were the only two really good teams in college football. It just happened to be like the last three years in the playoff, I guess, going back to the, um, I guess, four years, going back to the Baker Mayfield, Georgia Rose Bowl is that there usually yes. just happened to be three teams that were really good every year. If you count the Justin Fields, Ohio State teams, the Trevor Lawrence Clemson teams, the Oklahomas with Baker, and you could argue the one Kyler Murray year kind of, but that Baker team and there, there seem to usually be three in just this year because of whatever reasoning where Oklahoma doesn't win their first championship since big 12 championships since 2014 and Clemson doesn't have a great start so that there just happened to be only two really good teams this year. You're right. Usually there are three, usually that two, three matchup presents some intrigue and that the one, four has been at times a debacle, but I, uh, I agree. Two teams. That's it. And, and kudos and, to two. At least let me say this. Kudos to a couple teams here. Uh, Baylor, uh, they win on defense. They are a very good, sound football team. Not much talent on offense, but what a defense and what a year for the Baylor Bears. Uh, the Utah Utes, a horrific start. We talked about this on your podcast three weeks ago. Uh, losing at BYU, losing against San Diego State. The, the season's over. Charlie Brewer's there. He transfers. Everything's going to hell. And Utah just rolls through the Pac-12 and heartbreaking defeat against Ohio State. And uh, one more kudos. Kudos to the Buckeyes. Buckeyes could have tanked it. They really could have tanked that game. If you had the Buckeyes on the money line like I did, you had a smile at the end of the day. Buckeyes could have tanked that game, but they didn't. They fought hard, and they found a way to win because they are the better team. But uh, I, I I was fascinated by Baylor's performance and the performance by both teams in the Rose Bowl. So Ohio State's was fascinating because, like you said, Ohio State is in the classic Georgia position the last two years where Georgia was the five seed two years in a row. And I think they played 
Texas one year and just absolutely tanked in the sugar bowl. And then yes, last right. year, yep. last year, they kind of tanked against Cincinnati, but still ended up winning the game. Um, Ohio State was in that position because I think there were three good teams in college football this year. Ohio State was one of them. They just happened to not have a good defense and lost to Michigan and they didn't make the playoff. But Ohio State kind of started out like they didn't really they were just going through the motions. And then there was like just three minutes of like five touchdowns back and forth. And then they were like, okay, now let's actually care about this because it kind of just like picked up the emotion and picked up the, Hey, we're playing football here. I know it's kind of cliche to say that, but it felt, it was like the, Oh my gosh, we're playing football here. And then Ohio state just kind of did the Ohio state thing where it's like, yeah, all our players are bigger, stronger, and faster than Utah's players. Well, how would you like to start the year with taking over in the Rose bowl as your, one of your first bets of 2022, uh, that was done in the first quarter. I mean, it wasn't done technically, but you knew that the game script was going to go over the total. And it did early third quarter, so it didn't go over first half. But I think within five minutes, the Buckeyes... But it probably should have because should have. Ohio State yeah. had that play where Jackson Smith Ajiba fumbled the ball at the goal line. He almost That's had right. four touchdowns For a touchback. and 350 yep. yards. Like They probably should have yeah. gone over in the first half. Uh, that's the best receiving performance I've ever seen in a BCS game, uh, New Year's Day, New Year's Six, whatever the heck you want to call it. Obviously, Smith last year uh, versus the Buckeyes was incredible, but I think this was a more impressive performance. Uh, I tell you why it's more impressive, because again, the Buckeyes uh, playing for a national title. Yes, you want to win the Rose Bowl, but wow, that was an amazing, amazing performance by JSN. And uh, perhaps... Uh, will go down in Ohio State history as the greatest wide receiver performance in a big spot. It's so crazy that they had two first, not two first rounders, two top 15 picks at wide receiver opt out of the draft. And then they get this, they get two of the greatest wide receiver performances in the history of the Rose bowl from Jackson Smith and Jiba and Marvin Harrison's kid. It's like, I, or Harvin Marison as it's appropriately called, but his kid just had three touchdowns. That was a Rose bowl record until Jackson Smith and Jiba had three touchdowns. And that was a Rose bowl record. It was like, just absolutely ridiculous. How, Oh, Ohio State's one of these factory teams where they have more four and a half and five star players than everyone in the Big Ten combined. And they can do that to Utah if they want to do that to Utah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, I think Ohio State's on the right track with their quarterback. And hopefully, well, hopefully, if you're a Buckeye fan, the right players come back. And uh, Ohio State. I was wrong, Kyle, on your on your podcast maybe six, seven, eight weeks ago. I guaranteed the Buckeyes would win the Big Ten. I said it's just a sure thing. It's going to happen. It's the same thing over and over again. And boy, did they I lay I think that was all the way back in week one. I think that was the that was like the Nebraska-Illinois week that you said Ohio yeah. State's going to win the Big Ten, and you never wavered from it. I think I, yeah, and I think I repeated it, you know, probably around Halloween or early November again that, you know, I have zero faith in anybody else to take care of business. I remember when they traveled to East Lansing as a 14, 15 point uh, under, excuse me, as a 14, 15 point favorite. I said, don't worry about it. They're going to destroy Michigan state. They're going to beat Michigan. And boy, you talk about a soft run defense against the Wolverines that weekend. They proved me wrong. 
but yeah, Ohio State is still to me the class of the Big Ten. Michigan is still not there. I think it's the Buckeyes. And uh, but we move on from college football. It's over. It's Monday night. It's over. And uh, go dogs. That's what I have to say. Is go dogs. We want to hit this one big. Well, let's go dogs then. And my favorite tweet from the college football weekend is someone that tweeted that the Big Ten is a Ponzi scheme that just gets all their teams into the top ten and then beat each other up in November. It's all it's all a Ponzi scheme to make you think that they have five good teams. <laughs> well, the Big Ten underperformed New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, Penn State, Michigan. Michigan State was so lucky to come out with that win in the Peach Bowl. Uh, and, you know, an Iowa disappointing end to their season, losing to Kentucky, you know, in the last minute of the game. But again, the Big Ten, just not enough firepower unless you are unless they're the Buckeyes. Just these, these teams just don't have the firepower against the SEC. Yes. But on the flip side to that, the Minnesota Golden Gophers won the guaranteed rate bowl. So all is they well did. in the Big Ten. <laughs> they did. And Wisconsin took care of business. So, yeah, I mean, again, I, I go back to saying uh, I'll say this again. Anybody can win any bowl game, it seems like. Uh, before Christmas, right? I yep. mean, it's so hard to handicap these bowl games before Christmas. You get to December 30th and through January 2, uh, you, you start looking at, you know, the SEC and you start looking at teams that, that play real schedules and you and you take those teams because Cincinnati, uh, I'm sorry, their, their win in South Bend was nice, but barely beating the likes of Tulsa, barely, I, I don't even think they covered against teams like South Florida, they, they, they're not they, they're good but they, they, no business no business in that game no business we asked this that. question on our college football playoff post game show and i kind of want to see what you say for it if cincinnati this year had played in the big 12 what would their record have been i think they lose two games i i i think they lose to the pokes i think they lose to the sooners i think they may edge out a defensive team like baylor because baylor probably wouldn't put a lot of points up on them um, I, I think their biggest threats would be the you know Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, and I think a, a bad team like Texas, like if the games in Austin could possibly beat a Cincinnati because of just having the offensive line and defensive line be overpowered. You could you could see a team like K State uh, if that game was played in Manhattan, where Kansas State beat Cincinnati. I mean, you put Kansas State and Cincinnati on a neutral. You know, it, it's really not that big of a spread. I think since he's a touchdown favorite, so it's not like Kansas State can't win that game. It's a good question you pose. Cincinnati uh, would find themselves in the Texas Bowl if they were in the Big 12. Damn, that is that is a little stronger than I would say. I would say, come on, at least they could get the cheese it right. They could they could get to the cheese. They could take bowl. Iowa State spot. Well, I'll tell you what. I don't know if they beat a team like Iowa State. That's another team right there that that at times shows a lot of promise and yet just you know gets to loses to West Virginia and loses to bad teams like that. But Cincinnati to me is is a number three to number five team in the Big Twelve this this year. And then once they lose Ritter, they they probably go to the number eight slot in the Big Twelve next year. So it's it's just don't they don't deserve to be there. I hate to say it for the little brother, but I, I think Ohio State gets killed by Alabama, but it makes it it makes it somewhat interesting, perhaps. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Ohio State. Yeah. Ohio State would have killed Cincinnati. That's why yeah. I, I was I was saying even after the Michigan game, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be mad if they put Ohio State in over Cincinnati. But resume rules kind of dictated that one for them. So yeah, it, it's fine. You know, it it was what it was. Alabama was going to win anyways. The game was still kind of interesting, even if it wasn't entertaining. It was still interesting. 
the pageantry. Uh, hey, before I leave you today, I just want to plug something uh, for Beer Life Sports. For Beer Life Sports, this is me, not our Oracle, who's our handicapper for the NBA, NHL, and NFL and NC2A football. Uh, Razor Rosenthal coming to you live two weeks from Australia. I'm not going to be there, but this is where I specialize. The Australian Open, handicapping tennis for you guys. TikTok. Instagram, Beer Live Sports, Twitter, Beer Live Sports. I'm, I, listen, Kyle, I, I hit about 70% in the Grand Slams last year. That includes Australia, Paris, Wimbledon, and New York. This is my specialty. I handicap tennis better than anything that I do. Australian Open's coming. I know we got a lot of football coming up here, but do not discredit the Australian Open in two weeks from now. And if you want to follow all of Razor's stuff, you can use that with the link in the description to this episode. It's under his name, Brian Rosenthal. It is funny there because the link is also his name because it's his social media profile. But click on his name in the description to this episode if you want to see all of Razor's picks and maybe take some of his odds on the U- on the Australian Open because there's only so much tennis analysis I can give you because there's a lot of niche <laughs> sports and tennis is not one of my niche expertises. Not your thing, but it's mine. Razor Rosenthal on Instagram. Yeah, we'll go ahead and, and we'll, we'll, we'll link it to your bio. And also, hey, we still have plenty of NFL action left to subscribe. That can be done at BeerLife.com. The Oracle still remains about 50 units up. So if you're betting $100 a game and you started with, with us on Labor Day weekend, we have subscribers that are pl- at plus $5,000 or more. So it just depends on what their unit plays are. And we're excited. We have still about five weeks of NFL plays to go if you include the playoffs. So... Keep them coming, Kyle. We'd love to have some of your subscribers. Check us out at BeerLife.com. Are you tired or bored of your current NBA team? Have you recently lost a superstar and are now spending years stuck in a rebuild? Are you a Lakers fan who hopped on the bandwagon after the Russell Westbrook trade but are now tired of defending Anthony Davis on Twitter? If you or someone you know is experiencing perpetual mediocrity, then we have a new solution for you. Introducing... The new Cleveland Cavaliers. We know it's now been four years since LeBron left, and the Cavaliers have had a really poor reputation. But with the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference, and while currently sitting five games over 500, the Cleveland Cavaliers are a perfect option for any new and adopting bandwagoners. Yes, for 20 years, the Cavaliers' strategy was to have the greatest players in the history of basketball be born in the general area of your city, but the Cleveland Cavaliers have pivoted in the last four years. We traded Kyrie Irving, who we got with the number one pick in the draft, and basically only got Colin Sexton in return. We then refused to sign Colin Sexton to his rookie extension, only for Sexton to then tear his meniscus in week one. The Cleveland Cavaliers signed Kevin Love to that four-year, $120 million extension, and we still have refused to trade Kevin Love because we are loyal. We know we've drafted in the top five six times in the last 10 seasons, but we've also had more success than 26 other NBA franchises in the last decade. When you join the new Cleveland Cavaliers, some of the perks involved are three fun young rookie stars, the possibility of acquiring Ben Simmons, and no expectations for the 2021-2022 season. That's right, you get all the fun of a team that's allowed to talk shit on Twitter, 
and none of the expectations of actually winning a playoff series. Remember when we had John Beeline and he was basically Urban Meyer before Urban Meyer? Neither do we, and we've moved on from this through a pandemic and multiple draft picks to create a new, young core of Darius Garland, Isaac Okoro, and Evan Mobley. For all of you who are big fans of NBA Twitter, we also have wonderful attractions such as Ricky Rubio, Chetty Osman, and the legend, Taco Fall. That's right, Taco Fall plays for the Cavaliers. Bet you didn't know that. Lakers fans, how excited were you when you guys got Russell Westbrook? Well, if you join the new Cleveland Cavaliers in seven months, you'll get that joy again when we inevitably trade Kevin Love and Colin Sexton to acquire Russell Westbrook in a move of pure desperation. But that's not all, folks. If you sign up in the next 48 hours, you will receive a new Cleveland Cavaliers swag bag, which includes a J.R. Smith tattoo t-shirt, LeBron James's old practice shorts from 2016's championship season, a copy of the Dan Gilbert letter that he sent out after LeBron James decided to join the Miami Heat, Two complimentary tickets to a Detroit Pistons-Cleveland Cavaliers game worth $6, and Lowry Markkinen. So sign up today for the new and improved Cleveland Cavaliers. All signups for new Cleveland Cavaliers are binding through the 2022-2023 season. All signups must be confirmed before the inevitable New York Knicks play-in game in April. Side effects of new Cleveland Cavaliers include fever, chills, cold sweats, Ben Simmons trade rumors, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts or actions, diarrhea, constipation, a longing for LeBron James, and the inexplicable urge to acquire Harrison Barnes at the trade deadline. If you or someone you know experiences any of these symptoms, your doctor may prescribe Orlando Magic as an alternative for new Cleveland Cavaliers. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.